you know, um, one of the fascinating things about church life is our ability to lose sight of what is important. And we can get very focused on church, or we can get very focused on numbers, or we can get very focused on programs or styles, or we all have things that are important to us and we want them to be the main thing. But the truth is that the gospel is the main thing. In fact, it's the only thing. So we can put all sorts of things around it, but unless we're preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel, there is no transformation. There is no change. There might be momentary change or change for a short period, but, but all the stuff that we create around church isn't the gospel. The gospel is the finished work of Christ. And it's about a God who loves us and a God who is committed to us. And when we move that to not be the main thing anymore, we, we, we lose the power. We lose the power. Paul said that the gospel is the power of God for men unto salvation. And salvation is not just I get to heaven one day, it's life transformation right now. And that's why, you know, whatever we do as a body, what, you know, what, when right from the beginning of faith life, we wanted to focus on the gospel and communicate that and teach it really clearly and then enable each of us to live it, to live it in its power, but also to live it because it's about who we are, who we become, what Christ has done in us. And... Um, the greatest transformation you see is when God changes a person. And you can't tell that in one day. You can't tell that in one week. You can't tell it in generally in one month, although sometimes you see the most astonishing change in people in a month. But generally you see it over years. And God transforms us from glory to glory. You know, the Bible doesn't teach us that God transforms us from yucky mess to yucky mess and we ought to be sorry about ourselves. It teaches that he transforms us from glory to glory. And that's one of the most exciting things for Cheryl and I, when we see people change, when God transforms lives, transforms them physically, transforms them in terms of the joy that people experience, in terms of the peace, in terms of the, the consistency, in terms of... Everything that Christ is doing in them. When you start to see Christ through a person, that's really exciting. And, and you know, part of the reason I, I believe that we, we don't see the, the mass results that the early church saw and, and that certain times down the ages people have seen is that people don't see changed lives. What they're seeing is changed churches. And we, we try and find these formulas to make church work when actually what the gospel is about is us being changed. And changed lives change lives. People come to Christ because they see that believers are different. They don't come to Christ to live the same old mess they always live but be part of a different organisation. 
Genuinely long-term discipleship is because people change and they see change in others. But that change doesn't happen all at once. And so the big thing about the gospel is this, that we have a gospel that, how can I say it, that is counterintuitive. Because what we want to do with it and what human, human beings want to do with it is we want to, to get it to work. We want to, we want to be the ones that decide and, and make it successful. We want to be the ones that contribute. And we have a real problem getting our head round that Christ has done it all. And that's why we do a lot of things to try and make ourselves more acceptable to God when he's saying you're acceptable through Christ. And we build a lot of that into our churches and the way we do things. Because we keep on telling ourselves, and I had this for like decades in, in you know, the, the traditional churches we were part of then, but it's not just about traditional churches, it's about right across whatever style of church. We get convinced that we're rubbish and we don't deserve what God did for us. And therefore, the more we see ourselves as sinful and the more rubbish we see ourselves as, the more humble we'll be and the more this will work for us. The thing is, it doesn't work. It just convinces you you're useless and you're a terrible person. And, and it ingrains that into you. And the sad thing is, that's not what the gospel teaches. That's why the gospel is so counterintuitive. It teaches that you are transformed, now live from that place of being transformed. And that's in, it, it teaches us that when we were born again, Christ did a miracle in us. He came to live in us. And that as we realise who we are, we get transformed from glory to glory. Not from sinful to sinful to sinful to I'm sorry to I'm sinful to I'm sorry to I'm sinful to I'm sorry. We try to get transformed from glory to glory because Christ is glory in us. That's exciting. You should be more excited about this or are you just processing it? You're just processing it. Okay. But, you know, if you want to enjoy the journey of this life and not just think this is all about, like, working your socks off and being miserable until you get to heaven. Although you aren't there yet, you have to realise, although you aren't there fully transformed, I mean, not heaven, unless I've missed something this morning. No, we haven't gone. <laughs> unless you're not there yet, fully transformed, you have to realise that God is not mad at you. We're not, we're not here staring down God's wrath if we, we do the slightest thing out of line or we don't try hard enough or we don't do enough. God's not mad at us, but he loves us and he loves us every step of the way of the transformation that's taking place in our life. He loves us through what we're going through. He loves us where we are and he loves where he's taking us to. So, you see, I, I'm the sort of person that likes progress. I like to be moving forward. I like to see um, new challenges, new goals hit. You know, that, I, I like to, to be able to say, right, I've, I've made a forward step. 
you know, we, we all like forward sets. We usually do forward sets 1st of January and stop them about the 3rd of January. But we all like forward sets. Nobody really wants to go backwards in their life. And I like to know I'm moving forward. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to encourage you, first off, to be excited about the growth you've had. I want you to look back and think about who you were when Christ found you. You know, we, we talk about a lot about seekers looking for God, but the truth is that God is a seeker looking for us. God's the seeker. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so I want to encourage you to be excited about where you've come from. You might, rather than looking at where you're not yet, I want you to look at where you've come from, who you were, what sort of person you were. And some of that change the world can see on the outside and some of it you know is on, in, on the inside. And when we look at where, where we've changed, we can see Christ at work in our life. The thing about the gospel is it's really simple. And so you just end up saying the same things the same way, lots of, well, sorry, lots of different ways. But because Christ lives in us, our goal isn't to try harder to be a better person. Our goal is to walk in love. That's what we're designed for. We're designed to walk in love. The, the the, the word of God tells us, even though we can't necessarily feel it all the time or see it all the time, that the love of God has been put in our hearts. We, we have it readily available to, to us to, to walk in and, 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 and give away to others. Now, that's a different sort of love than the love that the, the world has. And the love that we're so used to giving. Because the love that, that God has for us and the love that he's put in our hearts is very different from the love that, that most people run on day to day. In fact, most, most marriages or relationships run on day to day. And that's the sort of love which says, if you keep me happy and please me, I'll love you. I think you're my, you're my best option to make me happy, so I love you. And, and the other person... He's running on that same thing. In other words, it's a conditional love. It's a love which is based on how much love you get back and how much response you get to that love. Now, that's not the sort of love that we've been given. We've been given something much better than that. We've been given a love that can keep on loving until that love transforms the person who didn't love us. Do, do, do you get that? And God's love towards us is always on. That's just so important. God's love towards us is always on. It's never off. He doesn't switch it on and off depending on what we've done or, or who we are or whether we've, we've done everything we'd said we'd do or whether we've lived up to our own expectations or anybody else's expectations. His love towards us is always on. And, and you need to see God like that. Because unless we see God like that, it slows down the transformation in us. It slows down our effectiveness 
in communicating the life of God that he's given us. And the second thing, you know, God's love's always on, but I want you to also understand this, that actually God wants you to love yourself. And you go, oh, that seems a bit self-centred, Matt. Well, no, because the truth is you can't do what God's asked you to do without actually loving yourself. Because he told you to love others as you love yourself. So if you don't love yourself, you've got a problem loving others. So you have to actually love yourself. And, and I don't mean that in a, like an like a unbalanced sort of selfish, self-centred type of love. Um, but to not be against yourself all the time. Some people live life against themselves. They, they hate who they are. And that, that might be you. Like you just don't like who you are. You just think, like, I'm not good enough. I... I I'm not like that person over there. I, I, can't, I can't live up to what they, they live up. And, and we get this place where we, we lose sight of the fact that we are so loved by God and that he has made us to be loved and that in his sight we're perfect. And, and we, we, we actually dislike ourselves or we're disappointed in ourselves. You see, the truth of the gospel is this, that we are not supposed to live life focused on our faults. We are supposed to live life focused on Christ. And when we're looking at our faults, we have got our eyes off him and on us. And in us, there's nothing. There's nothing helpful. There's just a load of effort, a load of calorie burning, a load of stress, and nothing else. And quite honestly, if we could fix ourselves, we would have done it by now, wouldn't we, some of us? We've been trying 40, 50, 60 years, and we haven't done it that well. So maybe we, we need to start looking at him instead of focusing on our faults and let him change us. Because the Bible says, as you look at him, as you behold him, you are transformed from glory to glory. It never says, as you look at your sin and your badness and your failure, you are transformed. In fact, all it says about that is that Jesus dealt with it under the new covenant. At the cross, Jesus dealt with that. And he made you a new creation when you were born again so that you could be different. And that new creation, you know, we, we all think about like healthy diets and healthy food and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to, if you want to grow... In the natural, what do you do? You have to feed yourself some good stuff, don't you? And, and if you want to be strong, you have to pick all your right vitamins and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and the truth is that the, the right thing that feeds us and helps us grow strong because our, our, who we are now is able to process that and grow and, and, and get sustenance from it is looking at Jesus. And how do you look at Jesus? You look at him through the word and you look at him through what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. So we get transformed by looking at Jesus. So when we talk about transformation, it comes about because we learn who we are in Christ and we walk in it. We learn who we are in Christ and we walk in it. We learn who we are in Christ and we walk in it. And every time we see a bit more of who we are in Christ, we walk in it. 
that's, that's how this all happens. Let me show you. Um, it's Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self. This is talking to believers. So you have a new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. Some versions say righteousness and whole, true holiness. What that's telling you is that there is a part of you, the new self, the new person, the new creation that you became when you first believed that is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. That is Christ in you. The spirit of Christ came to live in you the moment you were born again. And in that part, you are perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. So in you is righteousness and holiness. Now, I want to show you something else. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Again, a familiar verse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, remember the first one. When you were born again, Christ came to live on you, became one with your spirit, so you have holiness and righteousness in you. Yeah. Now, he made Christ, who was never sinned, never did anything wrong, become sin. Jesus didn't just take our sins, he didn't take the punishment for our sins, he became it. He took everything into his body. He became everything that we were, rotten to the core. And instead, so that we might become his righteousness. So we gave him our sin, and the exchanges, we get his righteousness. So not only do we have his righteousness in us, because he lives in us, but we're also wrapped up in him. So we are surrounded by his righteousness. That's the truth of who we are. Now, we might not see that in our everyday lives. We might not feel like that, but that's the truth of who we are. And you can't live from who you are if you don't know the truth. So the first thing is we have to realise that's the truth. And then we have to then learn how to, to grow and be transformed. That's why we're doing uh, this kindness challenge. We're, we're actually learning a way of renewing our thinking, renewing our mind to the fact we have kindness in us. The the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we have kindness in us. It comes with the package of the fact that Christ lives in us. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. And and I want that to be the other two-thirds of me. So I need to learn how to let that part of me influence the rest of my life and live from that place. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. So... This is what I want you to understand from that first part. In Christ, you have rightness, not wrongness. In Christ, you have rightness, not wrongness. So turn to the person next to you and say, I have rightness, not wrongness. So Romans chapter 3. I'm actually going to read this from the Amplified Version because... uh, when I prepared the slides, I did it off of my notes, but then I found out the Amplified was really helpful in this. Romans 3, verse 23. 
since all have sinned and fall short of the honour and glory which God bestows and receives. We know that generally as all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The issue with that is that it doesn't finish there. But we leave it there. We leave it there. Okay, we're just having a little... Somebody's hurt himself. No, over there. Okay, he's found his mum. But how many times have you heard that verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Well, what do you think about it? It's not talking to you. It's talking to the person before they believe. It was the state of mankind before Christ came. It's the state of mankind before we believe. All sin, all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all need a saviour. The Jews weren't exempt. The good people weren't exempt. Nobody was exempt. Everybody had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, despite every excuse that we make. So we all needed a saviour. But it's not who we are now. It's you see, it goes on, it says, and all are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by his grace, his unmerited favour and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You are justified. You are made of right standing. You are in right standing with God. It was nothing that you could do to get it. It was freely and gratuitously given to you. It's a gift. It's his unmerited favour. It's not based on who you are. It's based on his mercy, his love, his goodness. And you have been redeemed forever by Christ. That's who you are. You were somebody who always fell short. Now you are a different person. You have all that standing before Christ. You can walk boldly before God and receive what you need. You see, it's incredibly freeing to not have to focus all the time on what's wrong with you. Even more so now because so many people are lining up all day, every day of the week to tell you what is wrong with you. And you might go, well, I don't, I don't do that. Well, just think about it. Every time you pick up a magazine, it's telling you what you don't have. It's telling you what you need. It's telling you you don't look right. If you had this dress, if you had this makeup, if you had this perfume... Girls, if you have this perfume, men will fall down at your feet and worship you. How cool is that? You know, and if you're really lucky, they may look like George Clooney and bring you an espresso while they're at it. You know, that's, that's what we think. Right. But 
never match up to those media images because they're photoshopped. I don't know if you realise that, but they're not real. And even if they were real, they're not who you are. And quite honestly, a lot of the people that you look at and go, wow, if only I had that life, if only I looked like that. Quite honestly, in 10 years' time, they won't look like that unless there's a lot of plastic in them. <laughs> but we try, we try and live that. Everything is telling us what we haven't got, what we're wrong. And you've got to have this career and this perfect home and do things this way and live like that and eat this and, and drink that and not drink that and, and do this. And, and we live with that pressure all the time. And it's just immensely freeing to know that we don't have to live like that. We're not wrong, we're right. We're right with God. Yeah. And we're right inside. And we're loved, deeply loved. So I've got a recommendation to you this morning, if you fall into this category, because so many of us do, including me. We have to give up a spirit of perfectionism. We have to give up being really hard on ourselves. Now, the truth is, God is not going to reject you if you don't perform perfectly every day. And I've said that before, and some people go, well, you've taken a real risk telling people like that, aren't you? You've taken a real risk to tell people that. You don't know, they'll, they'll all go off and do terrible things. Honestly, if you have got out of bed this morning, you've got the kids dressed or whatever, you've got in a stinking hot car, you've driven all the way here on a glorious Sunday morning and it's Father's Day, I don't think that you're the people there who are looking for excuses to sin. You wouldn't be here if you were. You're looking for ways to live out what Christ has done in you. So it's not dangerous, it's freeing and empowering. That's the thing about grace, it's freeing and empowering. And it doesn't compute very well in our logic. But when it comes down to it, it's the only way we change. Yeah. Are we getting this? Because it goes against logic. There's something we want to do. And, and if we don't appear perfect in our own thinking, we, somehow the enemy gets at that and he tells us that we're hopeless and we're failures and we're a mess and we're, we're weak and washed up and burnt out and never be any better than we are. You see, when I started talking about this, I said that you can't tell transformation in just a few days or in a week or a month. But if I, and I'm not going to do it because it's like working with children and animals, asking your wife to say, what's the change you've seen in Mark? <laughs> okay. But I can guarantee you, because she tells me, because she's very kind and loving, that I am not the man she married. Now, that doesn't, that, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> but I'm not the man she married. And neither is she the woman I married. Because there's more of God showing in our life to each other. 
you know, th- there was all sorts of hang-ups and stuff that I had in my life when we got married that, that, that God has worked out over the years. And Cheryl's life is a whole lot easier now than it used to be. She's nodding. That's good. That's comforting. <laughs> and my life's a whole lot easier than it used to be. Because God's working stuff out in us. And we're not the people who got married. We are more and more like Christ. That's how it's supposed to be. And we didn't do that because I'll do a whole lot more and love Cheryl a whole lot more because I fall more deeply in love with her than if somebody tells me the rule is you have to love your wife. I fall more and more in love with her. That's how it works. So this is really important. You won't produce anything in your life you don't believe is true about you. Because as you think about yourself, so are you. So you only produce in your life what you know is true about you and what you think is true about you. That's why that, that Paul spends like such large swathes of the New Testament telling us who we are and what Christ has done. Because he doesn't focus on what we aren't. He focuses on who we are and says, put it on, be that person, be the new self. You see, how are you going to produce more right behaviour if you don't know you've got the seed of rightness in you? If you just think you're bad to the core, how are you going to produce more right behaviour on a sustainable basis? You might manage it for a few days, but... Over the, t- over the term, how are you going to manage it? You need something more than you. We, we, you know, I think all of us can acknowledge we need something more than us, don't we? Yeah. To, to make this life work well. And so we, we have to know what is inside of us and who we are in. You see, we are loved incredibly. And some people right here need to know that. You need to know that you're loved, that you're loved by God. And it doesn't depend on you. He loves you because he is love. He doesn't love you because he pities you. He doesn't love you because you've pleased him. He doesn't love you because he found a deserving case. He doesn't love you because you're an undeserving case. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he is love. None of that has to do with you. He loves you. And and we need to know that. Sometimes we think, well, if we improve, God will love us more. But God doesn't love us because of what we do. So therefore, if we improve, he doesn't love us any more than he loves us now. He loves you right now as much as he's ever going to love you. And there's no defect in any of that love towards you. This, this, is, this is really radical stuff. But, you know, people go, well, I want to live for a radical gospel. This is the radical gospel. It's not fluff and passion and noise and, and running around and shouting and, and, and doing it, all these things that we stick on Facebook. This is the radical gospel. 
that you are loved by a God when you don't, didn't deserve it. And right now he loves you and you can't make him love you any more or any less because he loves you. And he, he, he's come to live in you so that you can live like him. Yeah. That's a radical gospel. Yeah. It's not, oh, well, I went, I went and did this or I gave away this much money or I laid down that. The gospel is all about Christ. We can do as much as we like. And if we're not doing it by, from that flow of love in us, it's nothing. The radical gospel isn't to do with church structures, lack of church structures, new wineskins, old wineskins, whatever. The radical gospel is to do with people seeing you change and change life, change lives. And it's not about programs and it's not about things that we put on as churches or we put on as parachurch ministries or anything like that. Right at the bottom line, it comes down to it is do people see Christ in you doing what they do when they meet you? That's a radical gospel. Not do they see a nice person who's a good Christian. Do they see Christ? Do they feel loved like Christ would love? Do they feel that they didn't meet you, they met Jesus? Everything else follows, but we try and put all the other stuff in front of that and say, that's, I want to live radically for God, so I'll do crazy things. No, just let him change you and let him do crazy things through you. Because it's crazy to love the unlovable. It's crazy not to go around condemning everybody and saying what's wrong. You know, like, this is the reason we have this, because we all want to be radical Christians. We put stuff on Facebook and we terrify people. I don't want to know a God like that. I don't want to know a God like that. And I'm reading him and I know him. You know, it's like, and we put all this stuff like, I've done this and I've done that and I've done that. They need to see Christ, not you. Jesus is crazy enough for all of us and he's radically enough for all of us. We just let him live through us. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. And again, I'll take this from the, the Amplified. Are you enjoying this? Yeah, yeah you're getting something out of it? Yeah. Okay. This is um, back in the, the dark ages... 10 years ago, whenever. Incredible minds sat down. These incredible minds included me and Cheryl and Les and Joyce. So there we are. There's, there's incredible minds. And I think Catherine might have been there. Although she was about that height at the time. And we said, like, what, are we, what, what is God calling us to do? And uh, I think before faith life even existed, we prayed this through with Phil and Maggie on Sundays. For a long time. But when Paul is trying to explain to the Ephesians how to walk in the fullness of all that God has done for them, to be totally transformed, this is what he said, and I, I am, I'm, I'm going to go back a couple of verses from verse 17. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 14. For whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that Father from whom all fatherhood takes his title and derives his name, may grant you out of the rich treasure of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man, that's inside you, by the Holy Spirit. That's him living in you, indwelling in your innermost being and personality. That's who you are when you were born again. How does that transform outwardly? How does it transform what the world sees? How do people see a changed life that changes lives? May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, that is, settle down, abide, and make his permanent home in your heart. May you be rooted and grounded in love. Amplified says, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people that experience that love, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of it. And we go on to verse 19. I don't think that's up there. So that you may come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, that is, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God themselves. So you go from being one-third wall-to-wall Holy Ghost to being three-thirds wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. That's what it's saying. It's that inward to outward. And the key to it is what? Knowing how much you are loved. Knowing how much Christ loved you, that he gave himself for you, that he died for you, and that he came to live in you, and his spirit is now one with your spirit, and he gave you life, and he gave you free access before the throne, and he declared the the record of everything, every failure, every mess, everything you've ever done wrong, and he declared it null and void, and he said, I'm not going to remember it anymore. As far as the east is from the west, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm not going to impart it, impute it to you anymore. I'm not going to charge it to your account. Why? Because I died for you because I love you. And I didn't just leave it there. I didn't just give you a ticket to heaven because I know you won't be able to do this on your own. So right now, I have chosen to come and live in you and to put you in me so that you can live a permanent place of righteousness and not of failure. Paul says in another passage that it's the love of God which compels him. We try all sorts of things, don't we, to compel people <laughs> to do things in church. But it's ultimately, it's the love of God that compels. That's what will keep you going until you're 50, until you're 60, until you're 70, until you're 80, until you're 90, and I'm going to go on, until you're 100, until you're 110, 120, and I might just be satisfied by the time I'm 120, because the Bible says that's what I can have. I can have 120. You know, that's the norm. Some of you go, well, I thought you were three score and 10. No, that's for the sinful, rebellious generation. And we've started living down to the sinful, rebellious generation for the three score years and ten instead of living up to the glory of God, which is 120 minimum, until we're satisfied. You see, so much of what we do lives down to who we were and what we haven't got fixed yet instead of living up 
to Christ and celebrating what has already been fixed. So we look at the wrong thing and live down to it. You know, um, I think it's, for me, it was really hard to get my head round God's unconditional love. Because I never had any. Because my mum was a conditional love her, lover of her son. In that, I guess, I guess it's common and in her generation. I, I don't know why, but it seemed to be a mindset they had. And it seemed to be a way of getting their kids to um, do the best they could. So they were always comparing you to somebody else. And they were always telling you where you were falling short. And they were always saying, you'll never do that. You know, go and work in a bank, Mark. That's a safe job. You know, it's all, it was all about safety. It was all about, you know, not taking any risks in case you failed. It was all about, um, you know, if you... I remember like, once, and I was quite young, and this is probably my earliest memory of, of this... Me and my friend Graham, we were sat and uh, we decided we'd be, I guess we were about six or seven at the time, I guess we decided we'd be manly men and we, we, we saw ourselves as great world changers and we decided to write some poems, as you do as six-year-old boys. <laughs> and we wrote these poems and I took my, we were at our house and I took mine through and Graham brought his and showed my mum and she said, well, it's a nice poem. But you're never going to make anything of yourself because your handwriting's not as good as Graham's. <laughs> and that, that's kind of how it works. And, and there's a lot of people in my mum's generation that are like that. Because they think it's loving to compare and look at what you haven't got. And that's why we ended up in, as, as a mess in the 70s and 80s. Because... We, we were brought up with that way of thinking, that everything's about competition. Everything's about being better than the person next to you. Everything's about getting on at whatever cost. Everything's about getting what you can for yourself. That's what it breeds in, because if, if, if that's the only way you can show that you're good enough to be loved, that's what it breeds in. And, I, and I, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was from the war, I don't know. But that's how that generation thought. And it became endemic and produced a lot of stuff. It produced a lot of people who were trying, 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 and, and some of them incredibly successful, and yet miserable, suicidal, depressive. You know, we, we all know all the stories of, of the famous people who had it all and then were as miserable as whatever and killed themselves. Because looking at our failures doesn't help. Looking at Christ is what helps. And we can only look at Christ when we know we're loved and it's not on the condition that we can do something good enough. Because he died for us when none of us were good enough. It's on the condition that he loves irrespective of where we find ourselves. Irrespective of the depths of our failure. And he reaches down and he grabs our hand and he pulls us out again. Because yeah. that's the sort of God he is.
No conditions. Except one. Let me love you. Receive what I've got to give. Believe what I say. Believe what I say is true about you. Believe what I say is true about me. We can't carry on like running our lives as if we don't believe what he says is true about him and what he says is true about us. We have to know who we are in Christ and then we have to walk in it. And when we walk in it, we'll see the sort of things that the disciples saw because we'll be full of the glory of God. Unto all the fullness of God, the richest measure of divine presence, a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. How do you get that? You know how much you loved. So if I'd said to you at the start of this talk, because I'm finishing now, if I'd said to you at the start of this talk, how many of you want to be full of the power of God? What will you do? What would you pay for that? What would you do to do that? Would you, like, are you prepared to go to a conference every day? Yeah, I'm prepared to go to a conference every day for full of the power of God. Are you prepared to, to pray for 16 hours a day? Yeah, I'm prepared to pray for 16 hours a day. Are you prepared to read your Bible for 24 hours a day? No, because I'm praying 16 hours and I can't do two because I'm a man and I don't multitask. But you, you get the point. You'd all do lots of things if you knew it would guarantee being full of the power of God. And yet, what the gospel tells you is you, the only way you can be full of the power of God is to know how much he loves you and walk in it. Because otherwise you'll always feel you haven't done enough. And the gospel says, that's an irrelevancy because Christ has done it all. And we live from that love that he gives us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.